0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Hipster podcast. This is your host, the Crypto Hipster, uh, Jamil Hassan, the the host of this podcast. And I have a podcast where I bring you amazing people all over the world. Founders, entrepreneurs, executives, artists, musicians, you name it in the world of blockchain and crypto. And today I have actually I have a guest who's easy uh, to, to pronounce his name. His name is Tommy Johnson. He is the co-founder of Sci-Fi. Tommy, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jamil. Great to be here. Very welcome. Thanks for joining me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, first question, when I wanna kick things off, is is about your background. Is it a logical background? Um, and uh, you know, for what you're doing now. And actually, what is your background, and is it a logical one? So I actually studied electrical engineering,
1: uh, so I'm an EE by degree, then quickly transitioned into software engineering once I realized that's where all the jobs were uh, and actually started a company back in college, ran that for about four years, and then shut that down, moved out to the West Coast to work at a hospitality startup and did that for four years before jumping full-time into sci-fi. So I've been an engineer for the last 10 years, so it's somewhat logical for the smart contract development and all that stuff, but I'm not a trader or quantitative or financial engineer uh, by trader degree. I've kind of picked that up over the last two years from connecting with people who are smarter than me or, you know, more
2: connected in that background. So, it's somewhat logical. Half and half, right? Yeah.
0: Um, what I found was when people get into crypto, they automatically get interested in economics. So, um,
1: it it comes, it comes with the, uh, the ecosystem, right? I mean, you start talking to all these people who have been quantitative. Financial engineers for many years and you start jotting down notes, you start picking up books and and
2: learning what all these Greek terms are right. That's right. That's right. So. Uh, let's talk about Greek terms. Let's talk about Psi,
0: Phi, right? Uh, what's that all about? What makes it unique? What are you guys working on?
1: To sum it up, it's really about the democratization of finance. We weren't setting out to start any sort of organization, but when running into a, a roadblock with the walled garden that is traditional finance, we wanted to get access to APIs to automate a simple options trading strategy. And a broker said no. It's like, well, Why can't we? So that was the impetus to say, let's just build options trading into the blockchain. And that's what really started it to create an organization that's focused on decentralized finance. We've had a lot of firsts over the last two years. So we've been building on Solana for, since shortly after they went to Mainnet in uh, fall of 2020. And we've had a lot of firsts. We're the first to launch physically settled American style options. No one had done that on any blockchain. When we did an evaluation, After running into that roadblock, we found that there was no true option, risk, reward, or payoff, uh, even with the existing solutions on blockchains like Ethereum. That has since changed over the last two years, but we were the first to do physically settled American style options. And the first to launch peer-to-peer central limit order book traded options. A lot had been AMM or automated market making. Which is why they had different payoffs than true options. We've also uh, a, we're also a, a leader in decentralization and and de- building a decentralized organization. So in January of 2022, we actually acquired, and it's not acquired in the traditional legal sense of some entity owning another, but it's really like incentivizing another entity to start contributing to the same decentralized organization. Uh, the foundation gave them funding and gave them incentives with tokens. And now we have two different entities and two totally different uh, geopolitical or geographical locations that are contributing to the same organization. And with that, we've put a lot of investment into decentralized infrastructure on Solana, where everything, every proposal has an actual action tied to it. So you actually have true governance where there's no need for central individuals or central entities to actually come in and execute some proposal uh, once the proposal actually passes things actually happen on chain whether it's a smart contract upgrade whether that's managing a treasury whether that's paying out a contributor whether that's writing some options to incentivize a contributor with like incentivized stock options in, in a sense but it's really just incentivized crypto options on some asset you're holding so we, we've been really pushing the boundaries of how, how do we organize and and create this decentralized finance organization that can stand the the test of
2: time, and that, that's what's been most exciting as as we've grown. Okay, um, you know, I,
0: I I've interviewed people around the world who build metaverses on Solana, and I've interviewed people who build NFTs and um, you know, storefronts on Solana. I have never. Yet until now, talk to somebody who's built DeFi on Solana. Um, you know, it's it's hasn't to me been known for that. Maybe I'm just ignorant. Um, or you know, what's what's because I think of it as going down a lot and not being really secure and not being a danger for DeFi, you know. Um, those are a couple of myths. You know, why is Solana an appropriate protocol to build DeFi? Um
2: what are your thoughts? Well, I like how you said those are a couple of myths because I think that's that's a lot what it is. Uh, it
1: did go down actually recently, um, which is definitely hurts the ability to do certain decentralized finance if you're doing high frequency trading. It, I think it went down for an hour. So if you're doing things that are higher frequency strategies or things like that, it can definitely affect uh, how your protocol operates or you need to have mitigation strategies. But I wouldn't say that makes it any less secure. And I'll dive a little bit more into kind of both these points, the going down and the security. So from the security standpoint, Solana actually has one of the highest Nakamoto coefficients, which is a measure of how decentralized a network is and what number of parties that can be determined uh, need to collude to take down the network. And so we focus on that decentralization and security there.
2: And so
1: from that perspective, Solana is extremely secure. Now, then there's the whole actual code and validator client code that's running on these machines. And if there's bugs in there, and that can trip up the network somehow, some way, that's what ultimately has taken it down. It's not centralized, it's not collusion of parties and things like that. And so, there are a couple measures that solana is taking in uh, to to mitigate these and i mean the the most recent one was actually was the solana validator 1.14 client upgrade which was because 1.12 was split into 1.13 1.14 there's all this stuff that had been worked on like 6 or 9 months ago when things went down previously And those upgrades were just coming out now. And so I think these processes have been improved over the last six to nine months. And I think that uh, that is what will make it, like mitigate these these outages. So I think I'm gonna give them, you know, a little bit of benefit of the doubt on that one, considering I understand how the, the code had changed and a lot of these upgrades were so heavily packed into one giant upgrade that something fell through the cracks. Um, but they're actively working on like mitigating that. They understand it's, you know, the, the core contributors, the validators, everyone, you follow the discord, you follow the code. Um, a lot of processes have changed over the last nine
2: months and a lot of testing has gone into it. Excellent. So then why is um, why Solana
0: an optimal uh, blockchain for, for some of these DeFi things like options and other um, DeFi um instruments or um why is it was it really beneficial great question so the reason we chose
1: or sci-fi chose solana was the speed of transactions and the block times you can't have a central limit order book on ethereum one i know some are are doing it now but you didn't have that infrastructure back then and it's very hard to do and you can't have active market making if prices, if you can only update prices every 12 seconds to minutes, you know, with confirmation times of your transactions, and so when the organization was evaluating what blockchain to choose, there was already infrastructure being put onto Solana for central limit order books, and that is kind of what tipped our, uh, you know, scales as far as choosing Solana and then the the low block times and the low finality times is what really solidified uh building trading and because that's originally what we started at is peer-to-peer trading but that product has actually since been shut down because there wasn't enough uh options volume and flow to make it sustainable for the organization and so we've pivoted to focus more on structured products so we have call uh and put selling structured products and we're launching vertical spreads and have a
2: lending product <clears throat> that accepts these structured products as collateral to bring more capital efficiency. I think of
0: the lack of peer-to-peer lending was a knock on your organization. I think it was a, because of the organ because of the government. <laughs> so, you know, um, <laughs> you know, um, they don't want retail involved. I don't know why, but, um, they're. Let's talk about that retail being involved. There are staggering barriers to uh, to entry in traditional finance, right? Um, why should we not repeat those same barriers in DeFi? I think those barriers, or at
1: least some of them, are are why, why it came about. Traditional finance is a walled garden. If you want access to the order actual order book that's trading behind the brokerage on the actual exchange, you're paying tens of thousands a month, if not hundreds of thousands, you know, and it's it's really exclusive to, to these big incumbents. And you can't, if you're a third party developer, just interested in financial engineering, you can't really play around with it. That's kind of what pushed us there. I think there is some things from traditional finance that should be introduced into crypto, at least more. Um, and I think that's more for the protection of investors. You see like a lot of scams and and things like that. So I think those like investor protections are definitely helpful, but I don't know if traditional finance has gotten it right. I don't, uh, I actually don't think the accreditation system like makes any sense. I think uh, I, I like, if you read <clears throat> Matt Levine's money stuff, I like his take on accreditation, he had a few weeks ago where investors should just be able to invest in anything they want as long as they sign a, uh, a document saying, I know this is a risky investment, or I know this is a risky strategy. And
2: may forfeit all my money, but I'm still gonna choose to to do this anyways. There's a big difference between a credited investor and intelligent investor, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. They, they're not one and the same.
0: How do we how do we uh close that gap or how do we give people more of an opportunity than just buying scratch offs? That's
1: that's a that's a good question. And, and it's like Testing, like this, I, I don't know if that that is truly like if that will truly work. I mean, I know they recently added that if you take the what is it, series sevens and you pass those, that you get accreditation status no matter what your your wealth or you know financial status is, which I think that's a that's a great step because it shows that you're you're at least more educated than most. But it's uh it, it's an I think it's an important problem to solve because I think with the low interest rate environment over the last Decade or two, a lot of the
2: best wealth generation was in these private deals, these private markets, whether it's private debt, venture capital, etc. Yeah, I, I I worked at AIG two times. The second time was in
0: Connecticut, 2012 to 17, where I was helping clean up those books that they, you know, uh, that they uh, took all the cause the problems in the financial. So I understand, you know, um, but, you know, the main, the main thing is, is you said low interest rates, right? Um, people are in DeFi because they want to achieve sustainable yield, right? Um, how do you achieve sustainable yield in crypto without being rugged, scammed, or only getting a quarter percent at a bank?
1: so i think a a lot of yield we saw in the the boom of DeFi was token inflationary based yield where you're just providing a lot of tokens to liquidity providers and then those the best strategy if you actually look at the charts was to just take those tokens and sell them immediately which then puts downward pressure on the token you have a lot of people who were putting their other assets whether it's a usd denominated stable coin and then, uh, and maybe there's some directional risk on whatever they're putting that into, hoping to get that yield, and then just got you know hurt or burned one way or another. So, Sci-Fi's current products focus on volatility-based yield, so it's more sustainable, where it leverages the the volatility of the underlying asset or these crypto assets uh, to generate yield. There is directional risk on some of these products. Uh, we're building out a suite of products that will. You know, there's a lot of risk-adjusted returns here, right? So we're building out a suite of products for you. Have your low-risk, low-reward, where you don't have any directional risk, which is just your simple over-collateralized borrow lending. You have some more directional risk with your covered call or secured put selling strategies, and then you can have varying degrees of risk with some vertical spread strategies. So it's really depends on risk reward as far as where you want to put your money um, or your assets. And uh, and it's always changing, right? I think the the macro environment right now with U.S. Treasuries, short-term Treasuries, paying out four to five percent, you got to account for smart contract risk and things like that, and adjust your returns. Like if you're gonna if if a borrow lending protocol or something else is only paying out five percent, and it's you know requires USDC or another USD denominated stablecoin as collateral, why are you gonna take
2: on the additional risk when you can just park it in a a nine-month or six-month U.S. Treasury and they're in the same yield. Right, right. So, so, and then if you look at the
0: at the prices in, in March in crypto over the past several years, they've always gone down, and they're going down now. You know, in February was a boom, a little bit of a boom, not great boom, but, you know, that directional risk, so your products cover both the ups and the downs?
2: Yeah, you have the option to
0: to take directional risk on the upside or the downside. So it's it's up to the the investor,
2: and you know the volatility, uh, you know, goes both ways, right? Right. Okay. Sounds good. So, um,
0: one of the other things that people don't really talk about a lot, and I, I use them, um, is the vaults, right? Coinbase has a vault. You know, some other places have a vault why how are and why are vaults important in securing yield how does they how do they work in there and then preserving that yield i think vaults is a pretty general term uh so it really just depends and i think that's kind of why like
1: some people have gotten burned or companies have gotten in trouble because they're using two generic terms and not explaining what strategy is actually going on behind the scenes you saw that with kraken staking recently um, so I think it really depends on on the vault and, and what is actually going behind. I think people just use the vault term as where you're pulling collateral, which is why sci-fi is making the conscious decision to move away from the term vault and call these things structured products. Um, so I think like Coinbase is, you know, Coinbase earned, a lot of it comes from staking. They're going to take the, you know, some percentage of the crypto assets, stake it and uh, pay out some of that yield from the staking to users um the, the usdc maybe there's since they're a part of the circle or usdc consortium you know there's they're probably parking things in treasuries and maybe that's how that 1.5 percent on coinbase uh, where that usdc yield comes from
2: um, so i think it's very vault dependent as far as what is going on behind the scenes and how the yield is being generated Got it. Okay. So, um, let's talk
0: about actually one of the things I write about what you said was that you were jaded by the way the traditional finance, you know, world has operated over the years, right? So you founded your company, right? I'm 51 and I'm jaded. You're 20. You're too young to be jaded, right? You know, where, where do you, like, how do you see your role in all this? And where's that jaded come from? What can, what do you, what, do you see your impact is over the long to you hall well i'm almost 30 so you know not not too young
1: but uh, especially in the crypto world right a lot of these people are in their very young 20s um but it's as a as an entrepreneur and someone who's always thinking, it's very frustrating to run into walls where you have some innovative idea and you can't really try anything or it requires ridiculous amounts of money to come up with even the smallest MVP. And so that's kind of what really like jaded me, um, where like crypto, you can I- experiment with high frequency trading and write high performance code and try, you know, optimizing and understanding the network to, to a level that you you could never get to in traditional finance. Um but I think as far as the impact on the world, there's a lot of products that was like the first time as a US person running into a financial barrier. But as we looked at like the world, you kind of understand in this USD denominated, you know, it's the global reserve currency. You understand that a lot of people around the world run into barriers a lot earlier than just wanting to automate an options trading strategy whether it's opening a bank account or getting some yield or just trading out of you know hedging their their risk from their own uh from the currency that that you know in the the area that they live in right and so i think the the impact that like we're trying to have is really the the open and accessibility of financial products for everyone and Someone asked a while ago. We have options markets. We have whatever. Why? Why do we need sci-fi? I mean, at the end of the day, if if we have such a big impact on the world that traditional finance becomes more open and accessible, I think the mission is accomplished. I think crypto, you know, and DeFi would have accomplished its mission. So it's not one or the other. It's more about just getting to that point
2: B of the open and accessibility of finance. Yeah, I. I wrote a, I think it's two years ago now, I
0: wrote an article saying, you know, watch out for the traditional incumbents trying to, trying to steal DeFi from the people, right? Um, how have you seen that play out, you know, with the traditional structures trying to, to weasel, I can say weasel their way in, but to to get their way in there and take that opportunity away from the retail? How, what do you see as the future of that? Because it's so far has gone, like, according to what I, I kind of feared about. I, yeah, I think that you see a lot of traditional finance people
1: coming into the space, but I, I think a lot of them are fair weather fans, right? They, When things are going up and there's money to be made, there's they're going to come in, right? These, these are sharks. If there's minnows making money, growing, whatever, they're coming in to eat. And so I think you see that a lot with traditional finance, whether it's market makers coming in and And trying to push their services or i mean you even have you know goldman sachs spins up or spins down their desk and it's a pretty funny signal to to where the market is whether we're in a bull market or a bear market whether they have a crypto desk or not um and so they they follow the money like they're they're a business it's not surprising um but i i think there's there's room for you know a lot of new up-and-comers who are, are planting their flags in, in this space, and traditional finance are not going to be at the right
2: place, right time, maybe.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, so, I want to find out. Um, you know, there are web, there are Web three alternatives, like you said, just options, and there's other things too, right? So, what are those? Some of those other things, and how can we onboard the next million, hundred million people? You know, to be to to participate in Web three, um, and DeFi. How do how do we do that? What are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of it comes down
1: to the the risk adjusted yield, right? And I think if we're focusing on like, I like DeFi, but I'm also a gamer, so I like GameFi. So, but I'm gonna focus on like the DeFi perspective of of it right now. Um, and the biggest thing with like crypto is it's at a global scale. I think we've seen a lot of people exit DeFi with interest rates going higher and whatnot. But I think as we build more sustainable yield or sustainable um, products based on real-world tokenization of real-world assets and things like that, and and bringing accessibility to those kinds of markets or bringing additional liquidity to those kinds of products, that is what uh, will get a lot more people interested in. I think we're in this weird point where there's not a lot of clarity on what's a security what's not we're seeing a lot of law come down by uh you know just by case by case basis rather than actual clarity and i think once we get that clarity it'll open up a lot more avenues for real estate backed yields and you know uh just like you see with nfts right a uh, a property could be considered an NFT, but you could fractionalize that and and have ownership if you register it as a security and distribute yield. I think a lot of that is just not technical challenges, given where we are with the technicals of blockchain and ecosystems, but really regulatory hurdles and regulatory challenges. So I think once we get clarity on
2: that um, and growth in that front, there's a lot that will open up. I wasn't going to ask you about GameFi, but you know, do you? But you're in game. But you, you know,
0: um, gaming is a huge thing across the world in crypto. You know, um, it's massive, oh. and and people don't. Re- a lot of people don't play games. They don't realize that yet. What should they know? And how do they earn? Um, and how do they get involved?
1: The biggest thing is really about digital asset ownership and. And then just like having the ability to plug in with DeFi and have free markets on those uh, those assets is what opens up a whole world of you know new possibilities imagine like you have this centralized fortnite store where you're buying skins and whatnot but you can now have this decentralized store where people are creating skins and swapping them and selling them and plugging into games or you know maybe this centralized plus a decentralized where the the game developer is controlling the skins and the game assets but you could move them out of the game to go sell them on some order book or some auction house or something like that and where you have like the world of warcraft auction house which is like separated by server to server the blockchain can now be this global uh this like global unification of those auction houses and now you have liquidity you know a single source of liquidity across all game servers And you're not fragmenting that liquidity and people can get access and
2: assets in and out of one server or another which i think is like very cool i'm just wondering if the sec is going to be
0: going to try to call all game securities you know uh (laughs) you know or that might be You, you,
1: you never know i mean it was the what just came out the uh the nba top shot stuff just came out right but What was interesting about that was when you actually dig into past the headlines i think the ruling there okay not i'm not a lawyer by any means but was the fact that they like forced you to use their blockchain and it was kind of tied to those tokens and and all that kind of stuff is what uh, what led them to really bring that that ruling or that lawsuit um so I, I think if it's a little, if it's done properly, like, maybe it, it'll, it'll probably be fine. It's not really securitization of the games, but.
2: Who knows where their heads at, who knows where regulatory regulators heads are at. That's the billion dollar question, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> more will be revealed, you know, um, so. Yeah.
0: I want to thank you very much for your time today. Uh, I enjoyed speaking with you and, and, uh. I learned a lot, and thank you for clarifying those myths about Solana. I appreciate it. Um, and I have one final question, and it's this. How can people find out more information about you, about sci-fi, about what you guys are up to? Follow your roadmap. How can they do that? You can find me anywhere
1: on the internet as tomjohn1028. You can find uh, the sci-fi Twitter at twitter.com slash P-S-Y-O-P-T-I-O-N-S.
2: And the website is sci-fi.io, P-S-Y-F-I dot I-O. Thank you very much for your time today. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for having me.